Good afternoon. I am delighted to be with you today to announce the National Hockey League's plans for our resumption of play, the format of the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs, and how we will conduct the 2020 NHL draft lottery. When the given go ahead from the medical experts and the relevant government authorities is given, 24 of our 31 teams will resume play. The top 12 in each conference as ranked by percentage points from our standings as they stood through the games of March 11th when we paused our season as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. We will resume play and conduct the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs in two hub cities that will be identified and announced at a later date. Hey, welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by the new Ram 1500 Sport, built exclusively for Canadians. I'm Ryan Dixon. I'm a writer at sportsnet.ca. And joining me on the other line, as always, another guy who finally has something concrete to talk about. It's Sportsnet's NHL editor, Rory Boylan. Wow, we have news, actual positive news, <laughs> laying out the groundwork for a return to play. Nothing's guaranteed, of course, but man, that was... Uh... A very positive and exciting day on Tuesday with uh, Bettman doing the announcement, him and, and Bill Daly making the rounds in media too. And, you know, it gives us a lot of fodder to talk about, that's for sure, between the, the playoff setup and, and the draft lottery, right? Well, then let's dive into it and let the listeners know as well that we're going to bring Chris Johnson, Sportsnet Insider, on to go over everything we learned from Commissioner Gary Bettman, who laid out the plan all things being equal and it being safe to do so, we will see a 24-team NHL playoff format. Chris is going to join us in a little while to give us his insight into what we learned about the NHL plans. But before we get there, yes, Rory, let's jump into it. We'll get to some of the interesting matchups, but what was just your gut reaction to this plan that we had kind of thought was going to be the way the league would go for the past week or so anyway? What did you think when those plans were formalized? Well, yeah, so we did. um, There wasn't a lot of new stuff i would say um on the 2014 playoff front we knew a lot about what was announced uh yesterday there were some interesting things that that we learned but um you know such as that that first round where it's the 5 to 12 ranked teams playing in a best of 5 play in they made sure to say that's a play in round and it's not part of the playoffs although it may still become that that's part of the negotiations to come um, I thought it was interesting that Bettman made it clear that the first two rounds of the actual playoffs after that play-in round, it hasn't yet been decided if those will be best of five or best of seven. I thought those would definitely be best of seven, and it, and it may still end up being that way. I think the players want that. Uh, but he did commit to the conference finals and the Stanley Cup final being uh, best of seven, as it should be. Um, and... You know, I, I think it just kind of nailed home. We now know for sure that if the NHL is able to return, we know definitely what the matchups are. We can start uh, looking at those. And also part of that announcement, um, we got a sense of what losing in that qualifying round would mean for a team's draft lottery hope. So it's basically, if you lose in that play-in round, you're in the draft lottery. So there's a chance that a team like Pittsburgh or Toronto or even, God forbid, Edmonton wins the first <laughs> overall pick again. 
Um, and you know that that option was not even not not on the table, not not a possibility for these teams at all. But there's a three percent chance that if you lose in that play-in round, that you could end up with Alexi Lafreniere, and that's that's I think one of the more shocking things uh, for me is that um, you know Pittsburgh could hypothetically have the same odds of getting the first overall pick as Chicago would. Um, which would not have been the case a couple of months ago. So there's a lot of of that going around too. But I just think the most exciting thing about it is that we can talk about these matchups. And, and on that front, you know, I, I think I got to say that I don't understand the calls for how maybe this is unfair for a team like Boston, who does win the President's Trophy and would have run away with the first overall seed in the Eastern Conference. Now they'll be playing a three-round-robin game tournament, I guess you could say, uh, with the other three teams that are in the top four. They could fall to number four seed in the Eastern Conference. So there's all that kind of thing. I, I don't get that that argument at all because... It's sports, right? Like sports are meant to be fun. They're meant to give us great theater upsets. I mean, the Stanley Cup playoffs are loaded with upsets all the time. There's no getting around that. I am firmly on the side of I hope that they go to a a bracket system here and that they don't reseed the teams after every round. I would be just fine with, you know, that the highest seed maybe getting the toughest matchup in the second round versus vice versa. Personally, I would rather be able to fill out a bracket and have that kind of a competition than have to do the reseeding. And it's a little bit more difficult to do that. It's it's chaotic. It's fun. Um, you never know what you're going to get from one round to the next. But uh, I personally like to see that. And I don't... That That's what sports is. I don't get the call to try and make this as fair as possible or, or whatever it's it's not fair none of this is fair this is a yeah. strange world that we're living in right now and so i'm all for just just making this as fun as possible well and obviously with regard to seating i mean a team like boston under normal circumstances you know having home ice advantage throughout the playoffs would be an extremely valuable thing and something you would never want removed but in an instance where there is not going to be any real home ice advantage i mean i'm sure there will be a last change advantage but you know it's it's not as meaningful uh, at all you know on the same level as it has been in past years boston ps had home ice advantage in game seven of the stanley cup final last year and lost (laughs) it so um you know let's just say it, it doesn't mean everything but you know, I'm with you. I, I don't understand any mentality other than we have um, a plan to bring hockey back. If it's safe to do so, this is what it's going to be. And and I think you have to blow it out. Like, you have to have 24 teams involved so you can have a ton of games and stagger them and just, you know, ha- have a buffet for people who've been starving for this once it finally does return. And I mean, you mentioned it. There's, I mean, Tampa Bay, after setting a freaking record in the regular season last year, lost in four straight games. So Mm -hmm. we know it's always an anything can happen situation in the first round of the playoffs. So yeah, I mean, I just don't understand. I mean, okay, from the explicit bias point of view of some teams, I mean, I know, uh, it was was it Carolina and Tampa Bay that didn't yes um, did not approve. I mean, okay, if you actually feel like you know you've got that much skin in the game and your team is being hosed, I mean, I get it. But I just think the prevailing sense, even within the league, never mind just from fans, is that you know whatever we can do 
to to get our game back and to have you know some kind of reasonably fair system which i think this absolutely is let's do it yep exactly i mean you're still having to go through the grind of you know up to five playoff rounds basically with this play in you know if anything um this this might be the most challenging stanley cup playoff in quite some time because of the extra layer of competition that you've got to go through and the challenge of coming back after you know it's going to be more than three months off uh by the time we get back onto the ice this is going to be if they're able to do it uh the most talked about maybe the most celebrated stanley cup playoff tournament we've had maybe ever um because it's just going to be a celebration of, of return to sports and um, you know, if you're if you're also putting three games on a day and you got afternoon games right through the evening to get this in, um, I mean, it's going to be all hockey all the time. And that's kind of a hockey fan's dream, isn't it? Even though it's in the summertime, but uh, it, it'll be back when before we thought maybe it wouldn't be back. All right. So let's run through these matchups again. The teams ranked one through 12 in each conference by points percentage. So the top four teams in each conference get a bye through the play-in round, and they would play a round-robin to uh, determine seeding amongst themselves. And then we would have, in the East, the fifth-seeded Penguins versus number 12 Montreal, six Carolina versus 11 Rangers, seven Islanders versus 10 Florida, eight Toronto versus nine Columbus, the teams in the East that would get a bye, Boston, Tampa Bay, um, Philadelphia and Washington in the West, your buy teams would be St. Louis, Colorado, Vegas, and Dallas. And then you would have number five Edmonton at 12 Chicago, six Nashville versus 11 Arizona, seven Vancouver versus 10 Minnesota, eight Calgary versus nine Winnipeg, six Canadian teams involved in the mix and one Canadian matchup, all Canadian matchup. Why don't we start there? I was writing about the Winnipeg Jets. It'll be up on Sportsnet.ca this week as we're trying to do a little reset with people, you know, reminding them where the team was when we left off and and what's ahead for them. Uh, A Calgary-Winnipeg matchup, best of five series. That's pretty tasty. It is. You know, it's good on one hand because, hey, there are two Canadian teams. Um, I, I think it's fair to say both underperformed their expectations preseason this year. Um, but on the other hand, you know, we were looking at the possibility of a Battle of Alberta in game in, in round one. And if sure. not round one, then, then round two. And I think that's maybe the thing that we're losing out on uh, the most here is that that battle of Alberta, the only time that it can happen now is in the conference final, which, you know, do you think both of those teams are going to get through? I personally don't on the flip side, if they do, and you have Edmonton and Calgary playing for the right to go to the Stanley cup final, that would be just absolutely amazing. So I guess if depends if you're looking at a half glass full or, uh, or empty. Um, But I think that's going to be a really great series. You know, these are two teams that, are trying to figure out where to go from here. I think Winnipeg's got a lot of work to do on that blue line. Uh, Calgary, you know, there was a lot of speculation that if they finished disappointingly, you know, got knocked out and ran one of the playoffs or something this year, that they might be doing some significant changes to the roster in the summer, whether it's moving out of Monaghan or Goudreau type. And now you've got a chance to kind of reset and re-engage here. But, 
you know, they have questions around the Winnipeg. Like I said, their blue line, Calgary, I imagine they would start with David Riddick in round one, but his lease has got to be really short because Cam Talbot was beginning to take over a little bit there. He was the better performing of the two um, when the pause hit, but he's also going to be a UFA at the end of the season. So he's not someone that you're going to be moving forward with. I think whoever loses that series is going to have some tough choices to make um, whenever the offseason ends up happening because they're going to have some things to fix before they get back to a, a contender status next year. But, you know, anytime you get two Canadian teams playing against each other, it's probably going to make for a really great series. I'm not really sure who I would even give the edge to there, though. Do you, do you have an idea? I think Connor Hellebuck tips it in favor of Winnipeg. To me, they're actually kind of similar in that both teams have pretty great top six. But, you know, Winnipeg's defense core, of course, the Jets gave up the most high danger chances against all season and Calgary's defense score a lot stronger. So maybe, you know, the things work out a little bit in the wash there for Calgary in terms of a disadvantage with the goaltending. But I just think the way Connor Hellebuck was going this year and the last 10 games before the break, he was really rediscovering that form from early in the season. Um, Those, the five big guys on Winnipeg, Ehlers, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, uh, and Patrick Line and, and Kyle Connor were really on their toes. I think I would give that to Winnipeg by a nose. This is going to be the interesting thing is how much does momentum that was being built up before yeah. the pause matter? Um, you know, and the other thing is um, teams play differently in October when the season is fresh and you're back after uh, a summer. Um, than they do in April when the playoffs would normally start and you've been coached all season long. So uh, that's the other thing I wonder is how are these teams going to play? Is it going to be more loose and more offensive kind of October style hockey or are they going to find a way to clamp it down and clamp it down? Um, And so that's an interesting dynamic. So again, when we get into all of these matchups and we're talking about any kind of momentum or or how a team was playing when the season was paused in March, I'm not even sure how much it's going to matter. It's it's kind of a new season. Yeah, it, I mean, this is basically, we will have had an off-season, right? More yep. or less. Yep. So you have to feel like, to some degree, things have been wiped clean. I mean, I just keep thinking about teams that would have been going on fumes by early March in terms of injuries, or, or a guy like Hellebuck who had played so much I mean, you lose your rhythm, but you get so much rest. I mean, what's the what's the benefit there? What outweighs what? I don't know. I mean, it's a it's going to be completely uncharted territory. The five twelve matchup in the West is interesting as well. Edmonton versus Chicago. A lot of offense on display there. What about in the East? Any of the four matchups really jump out to you? Well, yeah, I think. Two of them do. I think Pittsburgh and Montreal first, um, because like Montreal has the ultimate X factor is if Carey Price is any level of elite that we've seen in the past. And again, this is where rest may come in yeah. as a plus for Montreal. Um, you know, the Habs definitely had designs on returning to the playoffs next year. They're really putting pieces in place to make a charge up here. And I think it looked like, like Jonathan Drouin was really good off the start of the season here. And then the injury hit and, you know, it didn't quite get back to that level. If they can catch any of that again. um, And, and I feel like 
they would kind of be playing like we're doing this for Weber and Price, who's, you know, you don't know how long Weber's got left at the top of his game. Price you've invested so much in, like you want to be winning rounds for these guys right now. So they might be a bit of a, a rallying duo uh, to bring this team together too. And if Price can play like that, that's the, that's the thing that might turn this in Montreal's favor and put Pittsburgh into uh, the draft lottery. But I was I was getting ready already to pick Montreal as as a sneaky team to watch next year if everything comes into place. And it remains to be seen if uh, Alexander Romanov, who they've signed, is going to be able to play this year. The NHL hasn't made it clear if those contracts will be applicable to this season or not yet. But if he is, and you can use him, and you've got a little bit more depth there than you did previously, and you've got this rest, you know, Montreal could be harder to handle here for Pittsburgh than you think. Of course, Pittsburgh still got Crosby and Malkin. We do know that they're going to be without Nick Bugstad, who's out for the remainder of the season anyway. And I don't even think it's clear if Chris Letang is going to be uh, ready to return or not yet. So this could actually turn into Montreal's favor uh, pretty quickly here. Carolina Rangers, Islanders, Florida, Toronto, Columbus. Anything jump out there? I just think the Rangers are going to be sneaky as well um, because you're liking the 11, 12 teams. I, I guess I am. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, well, when you're playing a best of five, you've only got to win three games. Right. And so goalies can change everything. And the Rangers, again, Igor Shostyrkin was absolutely phenomenal uh, from the day he stepped into that Rangers crease in the start of January there. He's now the goalie, not of the future, but of right now. And he looks, yeah. he looks outstanding. Uh, so if he can bring that in, and I just think the Rangers have more to that team than you think. Again, like Adam Fox's rookie season flew under the radar because of what uh, Quinn Hughes and Cal McCarr have done. Um, you know, Mika Zibanejad has just turned on the Jets here the last couple of years yeah. uh, for them as well. Artemi Panarin is going to be in that MVP conversation. Their, their blue line is better. Their forwards are better. And now that they have a goalie in place... Um, that, that could be an interesting series. And I think just because of the lottery implications now uh, that Toronto and Columbus is going to be a really good one to watch um, because Toronto could end up with a top three pick now if they lose. And Columbus, they're just a feisty team that's always going to be difficult to deal with. And they as well started to see a couple of goalies emerge uh, playing better than I think most people thought. But they're also going to be healthy. They're going to have Seth Jones back. They may have Josh Anderson back. Um, those could kind of, you know, if Toronto was playing a banged up Columbus team, I would easily give that edge to Toronto. I think I'm still giving the edge to Toronto just because of their offensive firepower that they can throw at you. But with Columbus back healthy with that whole blue line, I think they're going to be a little bit more difficult to handle than you might think. And they're also a very, very well coached team. And if Tortorella uh, can whip those guys into shape in a two or three week training camp, um, then you know, Columbus also could be a really dangerous team. We saw what they did last year to Tampa Bay in the first round. And yeah, they don't have Bobrovsky and they don't have Panarin anymore, but they're still a, a team that is completely bought in and just will grind you down uh, through a series. Man, we are already in midseason form when it comes to breaking down playoff series. I really, really hope <laughs> we get the chance uh, to actually see this stuff. All right. Let's take a quick break, and then we're going to bring in Chris Johnson of Sportsnet. He is going to tell us everything he can about Tuesday's big news and where we go from here, what else needs to come together for the return to play 
to actually happen. Stick around. More to come on Tape to Tape. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Pleased to be joined now by Sportsnet insider Chris Johnson. Chris, how did it feel to report on something, we won't say concrete, but a lot more certain than you've been able to report on in the past? Tuesday was a huge day. It was, and I would say even going back to last week, it's been a nice few days for my mental health. Uh, you know, it, was, <laughs> it was a long time. I, I, I honestly, I actually think it's one of the things NHL players have struggled with is just the amount of uncertainty about this, you know, everyone goes through, whether it's in your personal life, but even just work, you know, what, what happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? Well, we started to get a little bit of clarity on that front on, on Tuesday specifically. And, and, you know, it was nice to, to get a sense of where the league's at. I think it's significant for the NHL to be out ahead of the other leagues, not that, that they were racing them per se directly, but that, you know, I, I really do believe that the, the NHL has benefited from the fact the owners and players have been pulling in the same direction on this and, and, you know, haven't run into some of the issues we've seen say in baseball or even the NBA where it doesn't seem as though they've been able to arrive at the best possible solution to this point. So, you know, it was a, it was a great day. It was a hopeful day. And, um, you know, now I hope they can deliver on a lot of those promises. I think we were just days into the COVID hiatus when you wrote that, you know, if, and it was an even bigger, if back then, if the NHL came back and jumped right into a playoff format, the leading contender was this 24-team layout. Um, do you have a sense for to what degree other options were looked at? Was this 24-team model kind of always the clubhouse leader? I don't know if it was the clubhouse leader. I mean, certainly it was in those early days when I wrote about it. And I think the NHL quickly identified the strengths of it, which was that it includes every team that had any conceivable chance of making the playoffs. It obviously includes some of those teams like Montreal and Chicago and even the New York Rangers, which have big fan bases and historical teams for the league. And, and so it would be a way to create interest in some of those big markets by, by having them play these games. And, you know, they did go through the process of considering a whole bunch of other things. I think briefly, there was at least some thought about an NCAA style. Everybody gets to play something. You know, the players at, at one point as it went along, I know it had expressed an interest in trying to finish off the regular season games, um, just believing that that would put them in the best position possible to be ready for the playoffs. I think as the weeks wore on, it, it became increasingly uh, evident that that those from the bottom teams in the league, that, you know, Detroit's and Ottawa's, the California teams, I don't think those players had much interest ever of coming back to play a few games that would be pretty meaningless, you know, for those specific teams just in order to complete the regular season. So I think that's a long way of saying that there was a bit of an evolution in the thinking and certainly a lot of ideas were tossed around. But, you know, right from the first days of this, I know the league had told teams that, you know, the 24 team um, tournament, if you will, was was probably the best way to, to, to sort of satisfy as many aims at the same time. And, you know, they ended up uh, with the return to play committee, I think, playing a little bit with some of the format of it. Some of that's still to be, you know, hammered out here in the next few days. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be great. I think it's it's a you know, th there's probably going to be a couple of fan bases or teams that come away a little bit disappointed by the bounce they get or an upset here or there. But I think for the most part, it's 
it's the best possible solution under the circumstances. Did anything surprise you from the announcements yesterday in regard, regards to either the 2014 playoff or the draft lottery setup? I think just how deferential Gary Bettman was to the players. You know, I, I've been around this league a long time and, and certainly covered some of the the moments where there, there's discord, you know, whether it's collective bargaining agreements or, you know, even something as, as relatively small as negotiating whether the players would, would continue to participate in the Olympics, uh, which didn't happen in 2018. And Gary Bettman said, essentially, we haven't decided if it's, we're going to use seating or a bracket, but the players are going to decide. And, you know, from what I understand, even whether best of five is used in the first round or second round or a best of seven, you know, I believe that vote will come down to the players. I think what surprised me is just, you know, really seeing in, in a meaningful way how much collaboration is going on and, and trying to figure out what makes the most sense here, because, you know, that that's not something we've always seen in the past. And so I think because we um, you know, maybe found out about some of how, you know, the, the machinations of this in, in the last week, nothing surprised me specifically about the format, but I think about the way it was discussed and, you know, how they're going to proceed from here in terms of clarifying some of the remaining issues. So Bettman has been steadfast about them playing a full 82 next season. And now we veer back into the realm of real uncertainty when we're trying to cast this far forward but you know the idea was floated that maybe they would open with the winter classic all things being equal would you assume the league would hold off on starting the next year to a point where we would anticipate they would be able to welcome fans back into the buildings it's tough to say you know obviously that's going to be a huge issue for 2020 21 and you know, I don't, I don't know that they can, even at this point, predict with too much accuracy where we'll be at with that. You know, I don't know that they would push it back just because no fans were, were able to go there. But I do know the league is concerned, you know, based on you know, what they've heard from their medical experts of the possibility of a second wave of COVID-19, you know, rearing its head in, in the fall. And so I think they're kind of looking at it in, in stages. And so you know, the, the big stage they're hoping to achieve, of course, is to complete this tournament as they've they laid out on Tuesday, you know, before, say, the end of September or certainly by early October, because being mindful of the fact that the world could then change again and we might see, you know, much more of a lockdown uh, similar to what we had in, in March and April in a lot of places around North America. You know, so they'll have to almost react, I think, to, to that information that's available at the time. But you know, it's safe to to say that they're going to have to do everything they, they possibly can to maximize the revenues that, that can be made. I mean, there's there's a pretty significant uh, financial impact to what's happened this year, but it, it will be much bigger for next season just because, you know, 85% of this regular season was in the books. A lot of that money was in the bank, you know, when, when the season went on pause. But, you know, it's a totally different animal, I think, to start a new year and, you know, I'm certainly not an epidemiologist, but it seems hard to imagine a scenario by December or even early January where you're having full NHL buildings again. You know, I hope I'm wrong, uh, but it just that seems a little bit ambitious. Uh, I would think that you're more likely to see next season played in stages where, you know, some buildings are partly full. Uh, you know, maybe in parts of the country, they can have larger gatherings that are allowed based on local health restrictions. And so you you know, it might not be equal footing depending on, on where games are being played. But I think it's going to be a real process to get back to what we would consider to be normal. 
um, you know, from a business standpoint for the league. And so, you know, I think that they're just going to kind of have to tackle a lot of these issues as they come. And, you know, that's probably why maybe that there is such a spirit of collaboration now is because there's a real understanding that, you know, just playing this tournament this summer, it doesn't end there. I mean, I think there's a lot that has to be done. And in fact, I'm already confident saying that the Stanley Cup in 2021 is going to be handed out in July and not June. I mean, we're already going to see an impact to the way next season goes just as sort of the reverberations of the decisions being made now. And so it's probably going to be years, frankly, before the NHL looks anything like it did before the COVID-19 pandemic hit. So kind of on that front, you know, as you alluded, it's safe to assume that next season would go late as well if it starts late. Um, and Bettman said there's nothing magical about starting in October. What do you think the chances are that uh, we come out of this and the timeline of the NHL's season schedule just changes and maybe it's a yearly thing that we do start in uh, November or maybe even December? Well, the fact that it's not off the table, I think, is telling because, you know, normally in an alternate universe, if we were doing this podcast a year ago and you just threw that idea out, I would say I, I just don't <laughs> see it happening. But, you know, I think a lot has been rethought during this. And, you know, I know they've said that this playoff format, for example, is a one off. You know, let's see how it goes. You know, I'm not saying that it'll be 24 teams forever moving forward, but but why not 20 teams and, and have at least some degree of a play in? Uh, round in the future if if this works out well if it proves to be successful if it gets fans excited you know I, I do think that international hockey will become a priority again at some point when you can sell tickets and get fans in the building and so maybe you're seeing international breaks you know I know the NBA's already flirted with the idea of creating in-season tournaments um, you know it seems to me that we're gonna I mean we're still really in the early days of understanding what this means for the universe still let alone any particular league. But I, I think sports as we know them are being redefined. And, you know, I, I, I'm really encouraged actually by how open the NHL is to considering new things. And so I, I think it is very possible you're seeing a, a different start date. I mean, you know, one one complaint, especially in some of the U.S. markets, is that, you know, getting going race basically right at the start of October creates issues for them, you know, in, in markets where they're overshadowed, say, by their, their NFL team and their, their Major League Baseball team. Um, you know, during those months that, that those are hard home games to sell out in October at times or to create the interest in their market. And they benefit by by going a little bit closer to the winter when, you know, some of the other sports are, are petering out and, you know, they can take hold. And, and, you know, as much as I cringe at thinking about this, because I do appreciate July and August largely off, uh, you know, full disclosure there, you know, maybe we're, <laughs> we, maybe the idea of handing out the Stanley Cup every July will not be as foreign as it once was. Maybe it'll, it'll, it'll work out. You know, I, I don't think anything can be ruled completely out and especially not just because of how the schedule's messed up now or, or been shaken all around. I think it's also because we recognize here the business is, is being hurt. And at, at, at the end of the day, as much as, you know, a lot of us love hockey in almost a spiritual way. I mean, the NHL as an enterprise is a business. It's about creating interest. It's about selling tickets and merchandise and, and, you know, trying to generate an audience on television and, and digital platforms and so, you know, if, if this proves something the fans like, I think that, that you're going to see them react to that because they're in a spot where they're going to have to win back some of what they've had from, from a business standpoint. And I think that's going to leave them more open to change than they have been in the past. Do you get any sense after Tuesday's announcement uh, of any pushback on either the playoffs or the lottery um, from either players or teams that don't like that setup? There's probably a little bit of it. I think, you know, the one thing about the lottery 
it's easy to get distracted in the fact that it might happen in two phases and that, you know, I'm not disputing that, but essentially if you look at it, there's 15 teams that don't make what is considered the 16 team playoff. And they essentially have near identical odds to what they had before. So, you know, it's, it's not as good as a system for a team like Ottawa or Detroit as what was rumored when they were looking at a June draft, but it is consistent with the odds that in the last couple of years, you know, the teams that have finished, uh, in, in the bottom two or three spots. I mean, they, they have the same percentage chance to, to win those first three spots. So I, I don't think there's really any basis for actual complaint in that. You know, obviously, depending what happens June 26th, uh, I'm sure that there, there might be a chance for some sour grapes. You know, that's, that's always the case. You know, as for the playoffs, I, I think a lot of people get it. You know, I was more surprised not that two teams officially voiced up opposition, you know, in the NHLPA vote, I'm, I'm surprised it wasn't more. I mean, it's a sign really that you're getting buy-in from a lot of teams because there's more than two that are kind of ending up with a shorter straw here than they would have had. But I think that there's a larger recognition that, you know, you need to come up with something. Someone's going to be inconvenienced and ultimately to win a Stanley Cup here, at minimum, you have to win four rounds and some teams are going to have to try to win five rounds to get the job done. And so there, there won't be any flukes. Um, you know, that, that come out of this. So I, I, I don't actually think there's all that much opposition. I, I think there's still a lot of um, unknown about how exactly the training camps will work, how, how the hub cities set up, what it's going to look like, you know, not just the games, but, you know, what's a, a player's life day to day going to look like when they're in there, you know, potentially for some teams for two months uh, or even a little bit longer than that. And so there, there's still a lot to be worked out here. And so I think there's questions, but I, I don't sense a massive amount of opposition coming from any particular corner. Yeah, certainly still a lot to figure out along the way, but a big burst of optimism in the form of, you know, formalized plans to carry out this 24 team uh, tournament. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. We will uh, stay glued to your Twitter feed to see what might happen next, but thanks so much, buddy. Appreciate that, Ryan and Rory. And uh, it's so nice to actually just talk about something real that's happening. Let's, uh, <laughs> really let's keep the momentum going yeah. <laughs> and have more announcements and more hockey to talk. All right. That is Sportsnet insider Chris Johnson. If you're not following him on Twitter already, what are you doing? His handle is at reporter Chris. Thanks so much to Chris for joining us today. Thanks to our producer, Michael Mayers. Thanks to my co-host, Rory Boylan. As always, we will be back very soon. Everyone stay safe out there. Who knows what news we may have by next week. Um, Things happening fairly quickly here in the NHL world. Um, But yes, very excited to have this podcast for you folks to have something real to talk about. Make sure you check back next week for more glass rattling hockey action on tape to tape.